Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. All right, lots of good things happening, amen? How many of you believe that it's a great time to be alive? All right, how many of you believe that God's doing uh, greater things in these days than he's ever done in, in the history of the earth, right? He's doing some awesome things in these days. And if you don't know that, man, you got to get out of Hanover and Spring Grove more. He's doing it across the earth. That's actually, that's a word for somebody. Get out more. So anyway, hey, I want to thank you for the, for the birthday love. I also, though, want to say that Phil Payne, our creative arts director here, it's his birthday as well. We, we share uh, a birthday, November 27th. So can we love on Phil for a moment? All right. He's a blessing here. There happen to be a bunch of other November 27th birthdays, um, and I don't know why, but uh, 1127, uh, those numbers follow me around uh, all the time. I see them every day. Always, uh, I'll wake up in the middle of the night just to look at the clock turned 1127. It's so weird. So uh, anyway, we'll see what God wants to do with that. But I just want to say God is doing awesome things. Um, one of our trusted prophetic voices came up to me during worship, and she said that she had a picture of someone pushing a boulder up a hill, and the word that she got with it was, keep going, do not give up, keep going. If that's for you, just receive it right now and just want to encourage you that whatever you seem like you're, you're pushing, uh, it's going to be worth it. And to keep going, the enemy wants you to quit. Do not quit. All right, do not quit. Uh, so, uh, so, Lord, I just bless people with grace to stay in the fight and to not quit and to keep going. It is not supposed to be easy. God, thank you for supplying the strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we, I am wrapping up um, this series called Reach. It was a short series. We've had so many guests in and things. It was a series kind of, we've just kind of had to work with what, what God's been doing. And uh, this morning, I, I am going to wrap this up. But what I'm doing is I'm taking our last series, which is Parables and Miracles, and then I'm kind of blending it with our Reach series because I think that there is both a miracle and two parables that, uh, that helps us see God's heart for reaching people. All right. How many of you know that the church is called to reach the world with, with the love and the grace and the power, but with the gospel of Jesus? You know this? All right. You know the song that we started out with this morning, Here is Love? You know that song, Here's Love, Vast as the Ocean, Loving Kindness? Do you guys know what the history of that song was? That song came out of what's known as the Welsh Revival in Wales, early 1900s, and God so showed up with his, his love and power, and so many people got saved, and so many people got set free, that they no longer needed police officers, all the jails were emptied out, bars shut down, police officers started forming singing groups, just ministering to people on the streets, all right, and God was doing such a work in those days, and so many people were getting saved, like, by the hundreds of thousands in a day where there was no social media, come on, right, somebody. Oh, whoa. Wait a second. You don't need social media to see God work? <laughs> Absolutely not. I would, I would invite you to turn it off. It's a distraction to the heart of God. All right. Uh, but uh, in, in Wales, this Welsh revival is breaking out and they did not know how to put into language what was happening. And so they said, grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above, heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. And we just sang that this morning. I almost hopped up on stage and said, hey, hey, hold on a second. I can tell we don't know the history of this song, all right? 
But isn't that, how many of you believe that isn't that what God wants to do? Do you believe that in God's perfect justice and perfect love, how many of you know that he actually wants to kiss a guilty world? I think so many times we think that God wants to judge a guilty world, but the perfect justice of God and his perfect love cause him to want to kiss a guilty world with mercy, all right? And so these are the days that we're walking in. What happened in Wales in like 1905 can happen again, and I would dare say it is happening before our eyes if we have, ear, if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. God wants to do this. He is doing this in our day. And so I know that if, if you look at the, the last words of Jesus before he ascended, uh, he, he called on his, on his disciples to, first of all, wait to be filled with power from on high and then to go make disciples. And I believe these are days where God wants to use us not in, a, not in a, a derogatory sense, not like I'm using you, but, but the, the, in the privileged sense that we get to be used by God, instruments in his hand. God wants to use us in a day that is getting dark, but he wants to shine the light of Christ. And guess what? He wants to use us. He wants us to be a part of it. He, he is not reaching the world like just by sending angels to the world and we sit back and wait for the return of Christ. He is actually taking broken people like you and me, giving us a new heart, giving us the power of the Holy Spirit, putting us back together, and then sending us out with eyes to see broken people. And this is a concept that I'm, I'm praying to God, I'm pleading with God, I, in my own heart, and your lives, and, and as a Jesus church, that we would get obsessed with reaching people in these days. We would get obsessed with it, guys. I, I pray, you know, there's, there's some First world problems that I pray that we never find solutions to. I, you don't want to hear what some of those are? So I, I don't want to hear us complaining about first world problems, all right? I pray, God, that we will never be able to build a parking lot big enough to hold all the people that are coming, all right? Man, that is a problem I want. I always want parking problems, all right? I, I never want a facility that is big enough for us, all right, that we're constantly, no matter, no matter how we expand and what we do and how we use every square inch of our space, there's always people, broken people, coming and finding hope in Jesus. I always want those problems, right? So I want so many heathens coming to Jesus, so many prodigals coming to Jesus, so many messed up people coming to Jesus. Man, maybe they smell, but we just wear nose plugs and we put our arms around, hey, I always want those problems. I want people that don't look like heaven, that, you know, that people that just look like bums off the street coming and finding Jesus and Jesus putting them back together. All right, that's what I want. I want I want us to walk into church and moms have to cover their kids' eyes. Say, oh man, don't look at that for just for a second. They, they just need Jesus, but they've come to the right place. All right? See, this is the kind of I feel like the church has gotten too safe, and that our number one priority has been how do we make bored and boring people comfortable instead of how do we release a wild church? Onto the world where we begin to reach people like never before. Man, this has always been the dream in God's heart. I hope it turns into the dream in ours. But man, I just tell you what, we need the temperature turned up more. More, guys. More on this one. So this reach, this reach series, I'm just going gonna, gonna to try to close strong and hard this morning. And, uh, and then next week, I'm going to be talking about some vision for 2024. But I want to close strong on this, guys. Do, do, you, do you feel, just even as we talk about this, do you, kind of, do you feel like, like an increase in the presence of God? Like God wants this. All right? And then I also want to say, too, if you were a prodigal, 2024 is going to be a year for prodigals. And it's going to be legal in the church to come home without judgment. All right? 
And I would just say, let's, let's start early. Let's start today. If you're a prodigal, you've been running from God. Listen, you don't need to get saved again. If you're already saved, you're still saved. You just need to come home to the Father. And you know what the Father's going to do is he's going to chase you down. He's going to meet you on the road. And he's going to remind you who, you who you actually are, born into his kingdom, a son or a daughter. He's going to put a ring on your finger, on a robe on your back. And it is going to be, a, man, a great homecoming. Uh, for prodigals in these days. I really believe that, that God is, God is doing that. But I pray that what happens to us as a church from here on out is that our hearts begin to break with God's. That our hearts begin to break with God's. Now, that's an important word because it's not our hearts break and then we try to convince God to care. All right? But God's heart is already breaking. The ones who don't care are us. And our hearts need to begin to break with God's for our hurting and lost and dark and broken people that Jesus died for, all right? So that our hearts would begin to break with God's and we would want to see people reached with the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom. But when I say that, when I say reaching people with the gospel, I do mean people that, that, are, that are going to hell, now going to heaven because they put their faith in Jesus and they've been saved. But I don't just mean that. I mean that people that were hopeless find hope. That's a part of the kingdom. I mean people that, that are sick find healing. I mean people that are bound find freedom. I mean all of these things. Wherever the church goes, man, the, the, the kingdom goes. Do you know this? People are getting saved around us, healed around us, happy around us. Whoa, easy now. Let's not get unbiblical. Right? Right, man. And, uh, you know, far be it from us that our gatherings and our hearts would look like a gathering of the frozen chosen. Instead of just the, the happy hippies, all right? Anyway, you know what I'm saying? So, man, just it, we, we need this and we want this. And I'm suggesting this is how a Jesus church thinks. That what happens in here, man, turn up the temperature. We want to worship Jesus with the, the privilege of gathering, uh, you know, for the fame of Jesus and the name of Jesus and loving on him and who he is. But then we would not hit pause, go live our lives till the next time we gather for Jesus. But a Jesus church actually takes what's going on in here and what's going on in here and begins to contaminate the darkness with light. All right? Man, what, what a great disease to spread. <laughs> the light of Jesus. All right? So last week, we, I hope you got that. I'm not talking about like a real, I'm just talking about like King, yeah, anyway. So listen back, pray about it, get over it. Uh, anyway, so last week, we opened up to Luke chapter 14. And I just kind of quickly and briefly went down verses 1 through 6. And uh, this is telling a story about, uh, actually turn to Luke chapter 14 again because I'm going to continue on in this chapter, Luke chapter 14. But at Luke chapter 14, 1 through 6, we talked about how Jesus was invited to a ruler of the Pharisee's house on a Sabbath day. And this wasn't real hospitality. This was more of a setup that the ruler invited his friends, his other Pharisee friends and, and lawyers and other uh, religious leaders over to the house to have a meal with Jesus. But it was a setup because they introduced a man with dropsy. It was a debilitating disease. They introduced a man with dropsy to Jesus. They all watched what Jesus would do. And what, what is infuriating is they would rather see this man continue on in his illness 
uh, and, and Jesus not heal him, then Jesus heal him because they had a big problem with Jesus healing on Sabbath day. So they loved the law. They, they were not controlled by the law of love. All right? Hope you caught that one. And so, so what happens, though, is Jesus doesn't fall into their uh, ridiculous trap. And he heals this man with dropsy. He, he takes them away from these weird people. Uh, he heals them. Then he sends him into a new life whole. Amen? Amen. And then, then what happens after, after this, this story, this set-up story, is now Jesus begins to speak to these Pharisees. And he begins to speak to these people that gathered with law in their heart, not love in their heart, and he begins to speak right to their hearts. Now, these guys were not reaching anybody with anything but rules, all right? I gave up on that nonsense a long time ago, all right? No matter how hard I try, I cannot follow rules well, all right? But what can happen is God can so change and transform my heart that it's not that I have to try hard, but suddenly I want to from the inside out. And that's what Jesus wants to do in people, all right? He's not impressed with trying to follow rules, all right? What he is doing is he's changing you so suddenly you want him. And if you, if you feel like, you know, if there's rules that, that God has called you to obey in his word and you don't want to follow them, then just don't, all right? Because Christianity is a heart relationship, all right? Can you imagine for a second, because I, I heard I lost you all, and you are, I, I, someone pulled out some tomatoes. I don't know why you have them on you, but you came prepared. You're about ready to heave them at the heretic. Can I tell you this? It is like this. How many people want to be in a relationship, let's just call it a marriage, where your spouse does not want to love you, they just do stuff heartlessly because they feel like they have to? That is not the kind, that's what I'm talking about, guys. That's what I'm talking about. God wants us from the heart to follow him, all right? And so Jesus is speaking to these crazy people, these Pharisees, and, uh, and what, what he does is he heals the man with dropsy, and then he teaches them, all right? Now, I want to hit pause one more time. I promise you I'm going to get into the new part. But I want to hit pause one more time. Jesus first heals, listen to this, he first heals, then he teaches, that is completely different than how I was trained in seminary, all right? What I was trained is first you get in the, in the classroom for like two, three, four years, and you learn, and then you take what you've learned to the streets, kind of, all right? That's actually not how Jesus does it. Jesus does the stuff, and then he explains it, all right? I would just say, hey, you, we need to, listen, you may not know a whole lot of the Bible, but you may have heard that Jesus does these things. I would say, start doing them, and we'll explain it later. All right? You hear that? I just want to give you liberty. Just if, when you see need, meet the need. Don't say, you know what? I haven't had four years of seminary. I guess there's a need right in front of me. I just can't really meet it right now because I don't really understand how. Well, here's how you do. Look at what Jesus did and do that. Try it out. All right? And then we'll explain it later. We need to explain it, all right? So Jesus still explains it, but the way that he starts, I, so I would say if Jesus did it, I, I'm willing to call that a biblical model, all right? And here's the biblical model. Heal, then explain it. All right. Some of you just got out bananas, too. I didn't like saying, don't throw them. Just hear me out, all right? So I would just, just say this for, for some people. Don't let a, let a lack of understanding neutralize you. Don't let a lack of understanding keep you from ministering in Jesus' power. 
All right? So don't let, let, listen, it is good to understand, but it's not your understanding that activates the power. All right? It is Jesus all along, whether you understand it or not. Come on. All right? So I would just start, do, start doing this stuff. And then you do this stuff, and you come up to somebody, like maybe a pastor or a leader, and say, hey, I prayed for somebody, and then this is what happened. And, blah, and they say, oh, okay, well, this is why. Guys, it is, it is called, like, discipleship on the run. All right? And it's fun. All right, much more fun than other things. All right, so listen to this. Let's, let's move on here today. Verses 7 to 24, and I'm going to read all of these verses to you all right now with my very soothing pastoral voice. All right, I'm going to read this to you, and I, here's what I'm praying as I'm reading, that God would put in our hearts uh, a desire to read again, a desire to read again. Very few people read books anymore. Very few people read the Bible unless a verse pops up in their feed. All right? So just a, a desire to read again. Let's read this. How about it? All right, if you want to put your hand over your heart and say, heart, get this. Be a good soil. Go do that. Listen. So Jesus is talking to some crazy Pharisees now after he's healed a man of drops. And here's what he says, starting with verse 7 of Luke chapter 4. Now he, that's Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguishable or distinguished than you be invited by him. Look at verse 9. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Look at verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. What a promise. And look at this part. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Come on. Promise, promise. Look at verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, now this is when we're going to start seeing God's heart for, uh, for the least likely. All right? When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, we never, we almost never, we talk about heaven now or heaven here on earth. We almost never talk about the resurrection anymore. We need to, all right? But listen to this. You will be paid at the resurrection of the just. What a promise. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him. Now, I don't know when I read this, I just think of like a know-it-all, kind of brown-nosing little Pharisee, and I've got this voice in my head that says something like, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, I don't know why, but maybe that is so wrong, maybe that's not from Jesus, but I, I see this. So this Pharisee said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it's, it's like Jesus says, you don't even, shut your mouth, is almost what he says. So look at verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Look at verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Look at how polite they are as they're, re as they're rejecting the, the ruler. 
Look at verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and she won't let me. I, I mean, I, I, no, that was the Passion Translation. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, and another said, I, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant. And it, let, let me just say this here. Listen, um, there's a difference between God getting angry, which he does, and God being angry, which he's not. All right. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets. Man, okay, fine. If, if, the, if the greats, if the elites don't want to come, Fine. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. Now, that's, that's interesting. So this servant must know his master's heart. It already done. This, I know this is how you operate. I already did that, all right? And still there is room. And so look at verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. I want to hit pause again. The, the people, in the, the blind and the lame and the cripples, they are not the elites, but they are the people that you would find kind of in the dark alleys of Israel. All right? So this is Israel. The people in the hedges are the ones outside the city, the Gentiles. The Gentiles. So go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. That Here's God's heart. It's not whether you're a Gentile or a Jew. It's not whether you're blind or you can see. God's heart is, I want my house to be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. God wants to be wanted. You don't want to come? You think five oxen are better than Jesus? Okay. All right. I know some guys down some dark alleys that would rather have me than what they've got. All right? God, bless your word here. Let it get in our hearts. May it produce good fruit. All right? So I want to talk about a few things that we need to see out of these parables. Number one is in, from verses 7 through 11. I want to talk about a major way we miss what God is doing in our day. And that way is that we actually operate, operate in pride and arrogance. We operate in pride and arrogance. Sometimes we spiritualize this. Sometimes we call it confidence. Whatever we call it, though, um, you know, God has not called us to be down on ourselves and hate ourselves. C.S. Lewis said that humility uh, is, is not thinking less of ourselves, but real humility, biblically speaking, is thinking of ourselves less. And I think so many of us, when we look in the mirror, that's the person that's actually God in our lives, no matter who we sing about on a Sunday morning. I think many times we think about ourselves first, and then other people have to deal with us, and that is not kingdom, is it? All right? So verse 7, Jesus is saying that, you know, he, he's, he's like, I was watching you guys, and you guys came into this ruler's house, and you chose all the best seats for yourself. It's like, this is a worldly concept, finders keepers, or you just got to get yours. Nobody else is going to look out for you. You've got, you've got to take care of yourself. Well, that might make sense in the world, all right? That might even work a little bit to get you ahead, but in the long run, it will not. It will burn up. It is not a kingdom principle, all right? It's not a kingdom principle. So people are choosing the places of honor at the feast. In other words, they're seeking their own honor. Can I tell you this? If you're seeking your own honor, you will not find it. You will be humiliated. Because honor biblically is not sought. It is bestowed. You hear that? You can't get honor for yourself. It must be bestowed on you by others. It's like, it's like masculinity. Remember when we talked about that? You, you can't just try to be masculine by, by, you know, by shooting guns and doing stuff and, and, and driving fast cars. 
all right? It must be bestowed from one man to another man or one group of men to another man. And honor is similar. This is a kingdom principle that, and, and that we're losing. It's not you get yours and you seek out honor for yourself. It is you humble yourself. Best advice in the world, if you don't know what to do, humble yourself and do it fast, all right? And then God loves to bestow honor on people, all right? And, uh, and so here in this story, Jesus is saying, hey, here's what you do. Sit and stop seeking your own honor. Next time, just go sit down at the end of the table. And when the host comes out, he's going to say, what are you doing down here? I want you closer to me. So that is the honor part. So honor, honor happens. Not, not so, listen, sitting at the end of the table is not God saying that he wants to shame you. It is actually God saying he wants to exalt you. It's not who, so he can say, hey, sit down here. He's not that at all. He's like, hey, take the low road. Not the high road, the low road, all right? Take the low road, sit down at the end, and when I come and I see you there, listen, trust me with your honor. You hear that? Honor is bestowed. It is not sought. I think many times, like in a social media world, if you can see, like, I'm getting less and less cool with social media. Uh, it's a way for people to skip church and watch us. Hey, online family, <laughs> we're not family. Uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, it's, just, it's just, it's a way to distract us. It's a way, I just hate what it's doing. I really do. Um, but, uh, but I think so many of us, we, we, the things that should be done in the secret at the end of the table, so to speak, we suddenly go live with, hey, I'm here. I'm just like helping these street people that never would have had if I wasn't. Hey, it's just a praise Jesus. Like that stuff's supposed to be done in secret. You're not supposed to go public with that. You're supposed to do things in secret that only God sees, then he honors. All right? I'm afraid that what social media is doing is giving us like this stealthy platform to honor ourselves and then call it spiritual. Like, man, this has, like, listen, if you don't do more kingdom things in secret than you do for the, why do you feel like you have to post it? It's like sitting at the head of the table. And the promise here is anyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Okay? You know what you, what you can do? What you cannot get your own honor? But you know what you can do? So you can humble yourself. You hear this? You can humble yourself. You, be, you can begin to say, you know what, God, I'm trusting you to see me. I would like to be humbled. I, I, I would like to be honored. But I'm, I'm going to choose humility because I trust your heart for me. All right? Man, it's uh, quite a word. And what the world needs, what does this have to do with reaching people? What the world needs is a humble church. Do you hear this? People that think more of them than themselves. That's where the power's at. All right, a humble church that is willing to pay the price so they can meet their treasure, Jesus. All right, all right. So if you've ever thought, why isn't God using me? Um, you know that that is a uh, that is a statement that that is different than this statement. Uh, Lord, I'm yours. Use me for your glory. All right. One of them is seeking your own honor. God, why aren't you using me? And, and that, that is the kind of, I don't, I'm more important than this, okay? That is a whole different prayer than saying, Lord, I'm yours. I don't care if I'm seen. I don't care if I'm noticed. If I need to play my harp on a back hill side with you, that is enough for me. Use me however you will as long as it brings you glory. Like the YWAM song, I will give my life, die and be forgotten. Or I will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Do you see? This is not like trying to honor ourselves. 
as long as it brings you glory. Or the great general Maximus when he's talking to Commodus, all right? He says, the days of honoring yourself will soon come to an end. Woo! Woo, man, I felt the Lord of that. I didn't know General Maximus knew the Lord so much. Wow. So good. So guys, I, I, hope you're, I hope you're hearing me. Do you hear this? The best advice, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Trust God with your honor, all right? I'm telling you, it's better to have God honor you than humble you, all right? Oh, we got this? And that is what the world needs to see. But Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus had to deal with this first before he started talking about reaching the lost and the broken, the destitute and the blind and the lame. Right, because you can't bring broken people into a house full of of uh, arrogance. You hear that? All right, you're going to judge people for how they look and how they smell and how they live. And in the church, we don't judge people for not following God they don't even know yet. All right, so we've got it. We've got to have humility in the house. And then that is a safe place for the, for the lost to start coming in. How many people would say, Lord, humble us so you can bring in the lost? Amen? Yeah. Amen. So what, what's happening here then in verses 12 to 24 is, is Jesus is turning life as the Pharisees knew it on its head. Uh, the Pharisees were the religious elite, and they considered themselves elites. You see this with the the Pharisee praying in the temple. Not in this passage, but you have to go to the book of Matthew. You see in Matthew, a Pharisee is praying in the temple, and he looks at someone that is is not even a, a, you know, he's just just a commoner. He's not even willing to come forward all the way. He gets on his knees back before the altar, and the Pharisee is praying, God, thank you that I'm not like this man over here. I fast twice a week. I do all these nice things. See, this guy's grid is not Jesus the Messiah and grace and the cross and redemption. This guy's grid is law, my ability to obey laws, but he doesn't even recognize his own blindness. The guy who can see is the guy on his knees back here that is beating his chest and saying, have mercy on me, oh God. It's mercy, all right? But here the Pharisees see themselves as the religious elite better than everybody else. They're the keepers of the law. They're the, they're the, uh, and they belong to the people of Israel, or in other words, God's chosen people, or they're people of promise. So there's a thousand reasons why they think that they're better. But what Jesus is telling the Pharisees and these religious elites, so to speak, is that in all of your attention to the law and yourselves, you have missed me. That's what he's saying. And all of your attention to the law and all of your attention to yourself, you've actually missed me. Your treasure is in this life. Your treasure is in yourself. You love oxen that you buy. You love even your your marriage. You love uh, the field that you just purchased. You love it all more than you love me. And that is not the kingdom. So the Pharisees Listen to this. The Pharisees' rejection of Jesus or Israel's rejection rejection of Jesus, it opens up the door for the outcast and the least of these to come in. You hear this? And this is what Jesus is saying. This is why it's so offensive. He's like, you guys are rejecting me. And guess what? I don't care. I'm going to the highways and the byways. I'm going to the hedges and the ledges. I'm going to the streets and the smeets or whatever that is. I'm going everywhere. I'm finding people, listen, that actually want me because my heart is to reach. If you love your ability to, you know, fulfill the law on your own and you love oxen more than me, then have fun with that stuff. But I am going to bring people into my house that are going to treasure me above everything else. All right? 
So who are the outcasts that Jesus is talking about? Well, it, it, basically anyone who is not an elite Pharisee, anyone who's a sinner, all right? And who are the, who are the, uh, the, the people on the hedges and the edges? Well, those are the, the non-Jewish Gentiles, people that you have to find and reach outside the city. And this is just a part of God's heart. Is God, God is saying, my heart is bigger than just my covenant people, Israel. My heart, I'm, I'm making room and a way for every person, every tribe, every dialect, every ethnicity under the sun on the face of the planet. I want them all. I want them all to come to my feast. And so what this parable is doing is it's declaring to the Pharisees, you do not actually want me, so I'm going to the least likely. Let me just read this again. Keep referencing it. This is, you know, chapter 14, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses for why they didn't want to come to the banquet. They, they say, you know, the first said to him, I bought a field. I must go and see it. Verse 19, I bought five yoke of oxen. Verse 20, I just got married. So all of these things, they may be important, but these things have taken the treasure place, and these are showing that these guys don't really understand the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus is better than everything combined. And if you have been invited into his house, drop it all and run. In that general direction, he'll find you on the street, all right? Now, I did mention verse 21 that, uh, that the uh, ruler, uh, the, you know, the master of the house became angry. And I, I want to talk about that for a moment because while I really res- uh, respect uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, who, who was instrumentally used in the First Great Awakening, and, and he preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, all right? I think, and God used that. Hey, here's the thing. God used it. Wow, okay? But I think we've, we've had a picture painted that God is mostly angry at us and does not really love us. And he's this angry God that you can't really trust his heart. He reminds us of an abusive father instead of the prodigal dad. All right? So I just want to remind you here that, that the best example biblically that I can see of, of God's character is the father who's running to the prodigal son. Okay? ready to bestow on him gifts, kissing him, tackling to him in the ground and kissing his neck. That is God. But God is a, is a person and has emotions and he gets angry. All right? Just like if someone uh, rejected you or treated your family bad or something like that, you would get angry. You need to handle it. There, there's, you're allowed to be angry. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a, it's a sin to sin in your anger. And that's the big problem. All right? But anger is not sin. Uh, anger is, is a healthy emotion as long as it's, it can easily become a doorway to rage and to hurting people and to saying things that you shouldn't. All right? But anger is not a sin. It's a sinning in your anger. And that's why the Bible says, hey, don't even go to bed uh, angry. All right? just, just deal with it. I, don't want you, I want you to start a new day with, you know, full of mercy and love. All right? Do you guys understand that? That God gets angry, but he's not an angry God that, that hates us. Uh, he's actually a loving father that wants us. And that has been a life-changing uh, thing for me. 
So when God gets angry, there's a difference between getting angry and, and uh, being angry. God gets angry, but he's not an angry God. Look at verse 20, 21b and then going to verse uh, 23. And I've already talked about this some, but man, we need to hear it again. We've got the streets and lanes of the city. That's the outcast of Israel's society. It's the poor, the sick, the blind, the broken, all right? This is, this is outcast people that aren't good enough to be trained by the Pharisees, people that are not elite, people that are just barely surviving. G- uh, the, the master says, I want them. Welcome them into the feast. Welcome them in to the banquet. In the highways and the hedges, these are the people outside the city. So this is, and Jesus is speaking this to the Pharisees. They must be getting very angry. The Pharisees are the ones angry here, all right? They must be getting very angry because they have, they have constructed this elitist mentality where everybody is, is worse than them. And, and Jesus is saying, these people aren't worse than them. You actually won't come to me, and they are. And the Pharisees are starting to see this and getting angry. In fact, Jesus says, you don't even have to be Jewish to come to me. I want people in the highways and the hedges, outside the city. This is scandalous. This is a scandalous thing to say that anybody is welcome in. Jesus wants everybody. As simply as, simply as I can, it's because of Israel's rejection of Jesus, this is this is now where God starts welcoming people into his kingdom is highways and hedges, the least likely, the people that society didn't want. In other words, let me say it like this. Jesus now is beginning to build his kingdom with the people in the back, not the people in the front. All right? This is, this, the Bible says the last will be first. All right? So it's not the best and the brightest, not the people that qualify for the Olympics. Jesus is starting with people in wheelchairs before he's starting with professional sprinters here. All right? This is, this is Jesus is starting with the people in the back, the least likely. This is, this is where he's reaching first. He's not reaching to people. He's not saying, I see your goodness. I see your goodness. I see your goodness. You thinking you're good is the problem. He's starting with the people in desperate need of him, the people in the back. You know what I mean by that. I don't mean the back row or whatever. But, but I'm saying, I'm saying he, the people in the back means the least likely people, the most broken people, the people who have nothing to their name. Those are the people, the people that have all, always heard the enemy speaking a different narrative over their life. And the, the different narrative was you never amount to any, anything. No one sees you. No one wants you. No one likes you. You're not loved. I can guarantee that, the enemy says. And then society backs that up by just kind of being the embodiment of those lies, wanting the beautiful people, wanting the privileged people, wanting the rich people. Here Jesus is like, hey, this is, you know, in the uh, Isaiah 61 uh, uh, prophetic lane here, Jesus is like, I came for the broken. I came for the destitute. I came for the lame. I want blind eyes to see. These are the ones that I came for. I love putting people back together and then sending them out to put people back together. This is how I do it. All right? So um, this is a, a powerful powerful passage guys and I just want to I'm just wondering here this morning if maybe some of you have bought the lie that you don't know a whole lot about the Bible you heard me even say hey we need to read the Bible we need to get off social media and you hear that as rejection all right I want I want to say to you this morning that you're not rejected by God you're actually being invited into something more beautiful than you could possibly imagine if you want it 
I should more accurately say, if you want him, him being Jesus. Because he certainly does want you. And the people that, listen, there's room for you in the house. Well, so many other people decide to do it on their own, to love the stuff of the world. And if you were here today and you have, you have nothing and you can just say, God, be my everything. Be all I want. Be all I've ever needed. Man, this could be an insanely exciting first day of the rest of your life. So many of us, like, even right now, I think some of you feel the faith to rise up. Maybe you've been religious and trying to appease an angry God with half-hearted obedience that you've never really, but you've never really loved God. And here this morning, there's, there's, you, you feel, hey, could it be that there's opportunity for me that I haven't known much about the Bible, I haven't known much about God, but now I'm hearing that I'm wanted by God. I never knew that before. I thought I was stomached by God if I perform well enough. That's called religion. That's never what Jesus preached. And here there's hope, hope, hope for you. That God is not looking for you to perform for him. God is looking for you to receive him through faith and stop trying to offer good works to him. He's not looking for your good works. The Father already found all the good works he's looking for in Christ. And Jesus was good enough for you. Then he gives his goodness to you. It's called justification. All right? And so some of you here, you just need to receive that. You say, I mean, I receive that through faith. I just, God, I just trust you to give that to me. I just want to be in your house. I trust that you will welcome me in to the party. Man, some of you just, just, man, if that is you right now, just say, wow, I'm saved. Holy Spirit, just do a work in me. Like, I, I listen, you're no longer outside looking in. You're inside being sent out. All right? I just want to talk to you to a, for the last few moments, though, to people that you've already received Jesus, and you're, you're wondering, okay, now what do I do? What do I do? If you're, if you're wondering where God wants you to serve in these days, because it's an important question. God, where do you want me? Where do you want me? Where do I serve? What job do you want me to have? All right? I would say this. Go on an all-out intercessory prayer binge. All right? Go, just open your eyes and go on a, a, a week-long exploration where you find the most broken places where you find the places where, where you, it just feels like rejection as soon as you walk in. Where the, the, the greatest need, <laughs> find the homeless. Find those strung out on drugs. Find the, the fatherless, the motherless. Find the lunch tables at school where the kids sit alone. Find the band kids. Because they really need Jesus. I'm telling you, I used to be one of them. I used to want to be a band teacher. I was, I was scared to death of being a pastor. I, I would literally shudder in my shoes every Sunday morning as like a 15-year-old because I felt the call of God on me. And I would tell God, I could never do that. I could never do that. You wouldn't make me do that, God. If you love me, you won't make me do this. All right? And I was one of the band kids. I would sit alone at the table and talk about, uh, I, I don't know, music, saxophones. It was great. But here, I, I want to I tell you guys, look to all these places. Look, look, start seeing the earth like Jesus sees the earth. And when J Jesus sees need, he's, he's attracted to brokenness, not repulsed by it. Do you see this? We're repulsed by the smell of brokenness. But Jesus is attracted to this. So I would say, hey, if you're wondering where to serve at Providence, you're wondering where to serve in your neighborhood, you're wondering where, how, to, how to be instrumentally used at your workplace or at your school or wherever you go on a sports team, wherever you are, look for the broken ones. Start in the back. 
In a kingdom sense, the back row is no longer going to be the safe place to hide. God's starting there. If you don't want to be seen, sit in the front, all right? But the back place, God is coming for the people in the back. God is coming for the broken. God is coming for the destitute. God is coming, listen to this, for the lonely ones that the world has rejected. But you know who has not rejected you, lonely ones, all right, is is that the king of kings sees you and wants you and is inviting you in, not to just a party, but his heart, his kingdom. He wants you, not as, not as someone that he just uses, but he wants you as a daughter. Do you hear this? He wants you as a son. Do you hear this? He wants you, listen, he wants you as family. So I say, hey, like, listen, we must begin to see people and see the world and see the earth like God sees. So we gotta stop being impressed by the impressive and we gotta start being hurt by the broken, for the broken. We gotta, oh man, God, God, while there's breath in my lungs, I am gonna eradicate brokenness on my watch. That is the heart of God. I mean, I remember my very first sermon that I ever preached in the days where I was promising God I would never preach. But I preached on a Sunday night service in a, back, in a Baptist church right across this little valley here at Christ American Baptist, which I, man, I'm thankful to God for all eternity for Christ American Baptist Church that gave me a chance uh, to, you know, to, to start in the ministry and let me fail a lot. But I, I preached a message called Love the Nerds. That was my first message. And I talked at you a know, higher pitch. Not that I talk like super low now, but uh, I was like, hey, guys, we got to love the nerds. Uh, and I would just, I had no clue, probably the, theologically inaccurate. But what was happening in me is, is I was in a season where I was weeping in God's presence constantly. And what I came out of God's presence with is a love for the broken. This is what happens. When you get in God's presence and you enjoy him, God does not let you just remain. He wants you to be a carrier of his presence out of church rooms, out of prayer rooms. And he wants you to make every atmosphere that you enter a place where his presence finds the hurting and the broken and the lame and the blind. And suddenly God is using you to advance his kingdom in glorious ways on others. Find the broken. Yeah, listen. You have to find the broken. That's what you have to do. It doesn't matter what position you hold. It doesn't matter what title you have. If you're not finding the broken, you're just a Pharisee. Does not, titles do not matter. God is always very unimpressed with titles. What he wants is, is hearts that line up with his. Hearts for broken. Hearts to, to find the one. You know God's heart, and we would see this in Luke chapter 15. It's just one chapter over. But there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He loses one. He leaves the 99 for the one. This is God's heart. This is God's heart. I, I find what was lost. So many of your friends, you're angry at them. But why they're annoying to you is just because they're lost. They're just lost. And if our hearts will start seeing their brokenness and their lostness instead of their annoyance, man, listen, I tell you what, we would, we would not be able to, to we we're going to have to have 20 services a Sunday in here. We've got to find the lost. We've got to find the lost. We have to. Do you know some, you know, we, we gather uh, by the hundreds on, on Sunday mornings, but you know, we only have 17 community groups at Providence. Um, if the average number in those community groups is, let's say, 10 people, all right, that's 170 people. But I think there's about 800 people that call Providence home. 
all right? We only ever gather on, on big holidays by about two-thirds. So there's only about 600, 650 people that ever gather at once, but there's about 800 people that call Providence home. And there, that means there's a lot of people that don't feel like they found their people and like they don't belong. If you want to know what to do at Providence, and you, and you have no clue, all right, you can start a community group. It's easy. We're not looking for people to teach theological sermons. We're looking for moms and dads to host, make, I don't know, shortbreads, uh, pumpkin rolls, hummuses of all sorts with dipping things and sauces, all right, and just host people and let them be friends in your house. That's all. Let broken people gather and, 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 and let God begin to, the, the, a healing ministry in your home. That, that's all we're looking for. But we've got to start doing this together. And we've got to start seeing people like God does. Now, I would love to put a banner over, like everyone has to drive in it when you come up and on our lane, and it just says, welcome. It's welcome. That is the heart of God, is it not? We want to welcome you. Your, broken, your brokenness is not stronger than the power of God. God can meet you exactly where you are. And he can do things in your life that you could never ask or imagine. And that we would be a community that actually believes that, operates that, and sees people. Let, let, uh, let arrogance and annoyance die. It's worldly. All right? Annoyance with how the world is you know, going this way and that way and dark. If you complain about that, your, your heart's not in touch with God's as much. You know, God's heart says, man, wherever it's darkest, that's where I love to start. See, I start with the people in the back. You see, I start with the people in the highways and the byways and the hedges and the lame and the blind. I start there. This is an opportunity. Darkness is an opportunity to be the light of Jesus. All right? Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? Do you know Jesus' last words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, were this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's actually exactly how we do it. Many times, especially in the very conservative evangelical church, we skip that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes because we say, oh, you received the Holy Spirit when you got saved, and you did. The Holy Spirit, he's the deposit guaranteeing your salvation. He sealed you for the day of redemption. All right, you're justified by God. The Holy Spirit was deposited in you. But what this is talking about is not that. What this is talking about is actually disciples going out in power. In other words, listen, being clothed with power for the ministry that God's calling us to. This is what we need more than anything else. We don't need to learn how to study apologetics and then then angry argue with people, we need the power to see people like God and then have the, have the power in, in our hearts and hands to actually touch people like Jesus does. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then, listen, once you have received power, see the church, is, it's grave error is having a, an unbiblical theology on the Holy Spirit and actually sending people out powerlessly. All right? Just go, just go, just try, just try. Well, no, no. Jesus said, wait till you receive power from the Holy Spirit. When he's come on you, listen, he will come on you. The Holy Spirit at salvation is deposited in you. Here's, he's going to come on you for power. And then you'll be my witnesses. Then you're going to reach like I reach. So here's, here's, what, here's what I believe the church needs more than anything else is the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we can hear this. Maybe you're stirred a little bit by what I'm saying. Maybe you can, you can say, I see a welcome sign too. Start with the people in the back. Let's welcome, let's reach. Ah! But we try to do that in our own strength and we will only fail. And we'll make, we'll make the church look ridiculous like it kind of does. 
It's just I'm tired of being a part of a church that has the right mission on paper, but has not waited on the power of the Spirit. So listen, all, here, here's what happened to me when I was a kid. I, you know, it was actually my, um, um, you know, days of just kind of being like a band geek and having no friends that actually was like the, the doorway to actually knowing God and experiencing him in power. Because you, know you know what I was doing? I had no friends, so I'd go home. I learned the guitar just so I could write songs to Jesus. And I read my Bible until the pages fell out. And I kneeled by my bed and I cried and I prayed and I started speaking in tongues. And then I just lay on the floor. I didn't even want to eat anymore. My, my mom was making baked ziti. That couldn't lure me out of my room. I was just having fun with Jesus. And then crying, like, are you okay? I was like, never better. <laughs> just having a great time with him, right? And uh, it's, just, it's just called like waiting on God. You know, I would like to invite you all forward and, and then just like, like a fire blast you, right? But, but what, I, what I believe, though, is that in the kingdom, it's actually, that happens sometimes. But what, what is, is the standard is people that want God more than anything else that are willing to skip meals and just, man, get on their knees and just hang out with Jesus, be bored with him till, till fire falls. This is what has to happen, guys. This is, you know, that the disciples were not fire blasted at the ascension. Jesus said, go wait on me for 50 days. And he didn't even give them the, the days. Like, like d- day 12, they're probably like, did we miss something here? But they, they keep lingering for 50 days. I would say, be a people that wait on God. Learn how to put stuff down just to be with him. And I just want to send you out with, with that commission. Your reaching of people is completely dependent on your willingness to wait on God for power. All right? Right? So I'm not sending you out just to go reach and just to be crazy and busy. That, that is, man, that will drain you fast if you're operating in your own power. I just, I'm just calling the church again to wait on God for power. So, Lord, I just pray you would grace us with that right now. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that, man, we want to be people. We want to be people. We want to be your witnesses from here in our homes to the ends of the earth, God. We want to do that. But God, we refuse today a holy refusal to do this in an unholy way. And that's effort, trying hard, doing it in our own strength. We've got to have Holy Spirit power to do this, God. So empower your church like we've never seen. Lord, I just, we thank you for the Welsh revival. We pray they would have no comparison to what you do in these days, oh God. That you would pour out your spirit, God on humble, servant-hearted people, God, that want to see you move in glorious ways. Lord, and we pray for the people in the back, and we pray for the people in the front. We, uh, we pray for the people to the right and to the left, the least likely, God. We just break all of those demonic accusations against people, and we call people loved by God, wanted by God, and we just pray, Lord, that these would be days of prodigals coming home, running home, finding that God wanted them all along. God, we bless you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what you are doing. And these days, in Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Can the, can the people just shout like, a, like a, an authoritative amen with me? Amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.